you know, you out on a date with a girl when you're like 23 and they say, what do you do for work? You know, she's working in marketing or something or, you know, whatever, whatever they're doing. And you're like, oh, I'm restructuring a company that's in bankruptcy. And they're like, sure you are. You know, it's like, don't you have somebody else to do that for you? You look like a kid. Top leaders, meaningful conversation, actionable advice, bulldoze complacency, ignite inspiration, create impact. Produced by Southwestern family of companies. This is the Action Catalyst. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. Hello, and welcome to the Action Catalyst podcast. I'm your host, Adam Outland, and today we get to interview Anthony Constantino. Anthony's the co-founder and CEO of Sticker Mule, one of the world's most popular custom printing companies and also the founder of Stimulus, the world's first 100% ID verified social media network, which replaces advertising with giveaways. We're going to talk today about the ideas of innovation when getting into a startup, some counterintuitive ways to build a business, as well as the modern day ID verified social media outlet he's creating. So looking at the, just your whole story and background, you're a teenager and you're, you know, thinking about your future, like most teenagers do, not quite expecting that what you'd find yourself in is this massive sticker business that you build that kicks off everything, right? What what were you initially thinking about with your future? I, you know, I don't have an issue with stickers, but uh, you know, <laughs> I didn't start this because I had some infatuation with stickers. I just wanted to get into uh, manufacturing. I wanted to get on the internet. You know, I was sort of a screw up as a kid, I guess. You know, my brother was like valedictorian top of his class. I was sort of a screw up, and I found my first success in life in, in sports. And even you know, even in sports, I was uh, a disaster. I, I wrestled. And I lost my first three matches. I was terrible at, you know, everything. I was so, I wasn't really great at school, but I wasn't terrible. You know, I eventually just decided my last year of high school to become good at sports. Hmm. And I ended up becoming, I think, top eyed for best record, best finish in my high school. And I said to myself after that, you know, if you can learn how to become good at one thing, why not try to, you know, that was my first experience becoming good at something. And so then I went to college and, uh, you know, I wasn't the brightest light. I said, why don't you try to figure out how to become good at college? So, and, uh, you know, I'll be overly honest. I got into a conflict there and ended up getting semi kicked out. And, uh, I, I failed upwards and went to RPI, which is a phenomenal school. Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Okay. So it's competitive with them. It's competitive with MIT, but it doesn't have the brand recognition, but I, I believe it's, uh, was founded before MIT. So as a long engineering history, it was the first time I liked being around really, really, really smart people. So went to my first school, did well for the first time ever doing good in school, went to my second school and got totally humbled by um you know the the intellect of the engineering crowd there do you know what you could trace back like the switch point to for like wrestling the switch point was um reason i said i could do that was um you know there's there are uh state champion kids that are only 13 you know some some kids come right out of seventh you know you're in seventh eighth grade and in first year in high school are already state champions that's right yeah. and i said if a 13 year old can figure out how to become a state champion even though i've sucked I can figure out how to get to the finals. I was one of, I think, only two or two kids in my school's history to make it to the finals of a regional of our regional tournament. It's so interesting to just hear these sometimes this, these early stories because it, you know, I don't want to superimpose this on you, but I feel like yeah, the proving to yourself of something that happens as a teenager. I'm going to set a goal and see if I can hit it, and maybe one of the first times where you really did something that required an intense amount of labor. Yes. Oh yeah, tremendous, tremendous labor. 
The other thing I learned through that, that is my first, my first experience, like re- reverse engineering success. I looked at a kid that was number one in the area. He didn't, he, I remember he did an interview. One of the best wrestlers in our area was like, well, you know, and, and he did an interview with the paper and he explained how he trains. And I said, Jesus, I thought it was just, you know, people think people are just magically good. And it's, I was like, well, this kid trains so much harder than me. So I started, you know, emulating his training and, and, and magically all of a sudden I'm at that level too. You know, later on in life, I do the same thing. Yeah, you revert, you can reverse engineer business success and, and uh, educational success. You look at what are, what are the people that are, instead of just saying this magical powers, why is somebody good and I'm not good? Like, what are they doing different than you? Yeah. And then it sounds like maybe a repetition of that a little bit when it when it came to the academics in college. You're like, cool, if I can reverse engineer wrestling, I can reverse engineer. Exactly. So I studying. I lived in the library. You know, I did a bunch of things I never did before. I got really out of shape. It was I got comically out of shape because somebody introduced me to Code Red Mountain Dew. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And and I and I started drinking 10 Code Red Mountain Dews a day. You know, I didn't realize so many calories. I gained 40 pounds. Whoa. It was unbelievable. I was like in phenomenal shape my whole life. And then all of a sudden, Code Red Mountain Dew. And I was like, my, my friends saw me. Are you okay? No, what do you mean? <laughs> well, well, we won't have Code Red Mountain Dew sponsor this episode. So no. I don't know if Code Red Mountain Dew still exists. They probably got other flavors <laughs> now. So, all right. So where does Sticker Mule come into this? Well, in, in full transparency, I, I didn't actually graduate. I had one class left to take, which is computer programming. And um, I didn't take it because I don't usually tell this because it's like, it's such a long story. But uh you know, I had a family business that went into a, you know, near bankruptcy situation in college. So I spent a summer of college sort of digging it out of that. Even, you know, I don't know what the hell I was doing, but I figured some stuff out and got out of college and then went back into a terrible situation again. So I spent a good chunk of my life pre-sticker mill working in, in a dysfunctional family business. I don't usually talk about this, but, you know, my, my dad started the company, passed away when I was eight years old. Twelve years went by without, you know, him being present and it became totally dysfunctional. And so I had to do a restructuring. It wasn't a pleasant situation. I spent, you know, X number of years of my life doing that. And then towards the end of that, you know, sort of stumbled into the idea of creating stigma. You know, the idea for stigma came out of frustration of like growing up into a manufacturing company where traditionally manufacturers don't have control of sales. So part of the problem was we were very dysfunctional. And the other part of the problem was we had no easy, there were no easy levers to grow sales. It, it was purely like we didn't sell, we made stuff. And we had a very small sales force. Right. And then we had partners that sold the stuff. Yeah. And so if the partners, you know, we had partners go bankrupt. We had, we had product lines die, very small sales force that you couldn't really do much with. And so yeah, I had no control over sales. So it was kind of dysfunctional. Sales were plummeting. I had no levers to pull. And I got frustrated with that situation. I said, you know, it would be very nice to be on the internet where you could connect manufacturing directly to customers. You know, I couldn't make any guarantee. You know, I was like, you want to have an agreement with your, with your, you know, factory staff that like, if you guys perform everything will be good for everyone. But there's there was no gear in traditional manufacturing that guarantee doesn't exist. You're doing that while you're complete you know, working through college simultaneously or that's kind I, of I started that in the middle of college. I just I stopped because yeah, people think it's easy to get somebody to run a company and it's not. Especially a failing company. You know, the talented CEOs of the world don't want to go join a failing company. Family business. Yeah. No, they don't. That's like your trial by fire of learning a tremendous amount. In the time, I hated it, but yeah, it gave me a great foundation. I wouldn't, you know, people like Sticker Mill became so successful because of this um, experience, unfortunately, but I hated it. You know, everyone was out, all my friends, and I couldn't relate. You know, you out on a date with a girl when you're like 23 and they say, what do you do for work? You know, she's working in marketing or something or, you know, whatever, starting a legal, whatever they're doing. And you're like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm restructuring a company that's in bankruptcy. And they're like, sure you are. You know, it's like, don't you have somebody else to do that for you? You look like a kid 
luckily, like the employees all supported me. I think they felt badly for me. <laughs> you know, I had to go really, I've always was friendly with them. You hate this whole thing that you had to deal, just go through. But somehow you think it's a great idea to start a business from scratch. I never found it stressful. I was frustrated that I couldn't have the same fun that my friends were having. You know, aside from that, I didn't have a lot of faith in us being able to stay less company. And I had great relationships with people and it was a small community. I wanted to have a backup plan for, for, for people, you know, for people, for myself, you know, but also for, for people that I had developed relationships with. The ownership structure of Stickerville and my family's company was different. And um, eventually, I think five or six years into Stickerville, we ended up I bought buying that company out and just absorbed all the people. It's really incredible. You always like wonder what like makes people tick and motivates people because I'm hearing that like one of the big things that made you tick was like employing people and that that you that you care about. Yeah, yeah. I put I put a big premium on loyalty, both directions. I'm very loyal, and so yeah, it was funny in the beginning. You know, I was like, well, I got to have security for the people I care about, and then at a certain point, Signal grew, and I said, well, now I'm just creating security for people I, I've never met before. You know, <laughs> it's like, not yeah. to be weird, but I'm like, and initially I just wanted to be. I was my number one point. And I used to meet with people and I would say, um, what do you guys want to, you know, I'm talking from my factory workers, supervisors. I said, what do you guys, where do you guys want this company to end up? And they'd say, isn't that up to you? And I was like, well, it's going to be a lot. It's going to get crazy if we want to keep growing. And, and, and my goal was just to make a nice life for us. Yeah. And I think we've done that. But if you guys, I would say, if you guys want the thing to grow, you know, we can do it. I, we can figure out how to do it. But I want to know that's what you guys want because it's definitely two different worlds, smaller, you know, calm situation where it's like staying in a high growth situation. You know, at the end of the day, you learn in business, you have to keep growing because, you know, so I don't know who said it, but so you're either growing or you're dying. So you have no choice. You know, I thought I had a choice. Oh, let's just stay small and calm and, you know, flirt around, you know, just screw around and have fun. You know, the long run doesn't work that way. Real quick, but just for our audience, like what, what is Sticker Mule? What does it do? And then, yeah, jump into like what what kind of started putting gas on the fire when you got that up and running. Um, I said, you know, Sticker Mule, I'd say Internet's favorite custom printing company, easiest way to buy custom printing. You know, we started with stickers, but we sell it to 10 products now. And, you know, our, our original innovation was just that we made it incredibly easy to buy. So when we first started and we started growing, people said, oh, you must be destroying the competition. The reason they say, well, how are you growing so fast and you're not eating into competition? I said, because the majority of people that buy from us never bought before. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is people can't remember this, but you know, prior to sticker mule, prior to like the internet, it would take forever to buy custom stickers. And so the only people that were buying were businesses that really needed them. But when it's all of a sudden a 20 second process or 30 second process, though the market just explodes because people go, geez, maybe I'll get stickers of my cat. You know, maybe I'll get stickers of my whatever my kid drew something or some other product like magnets buttons yeah when you make it easy to buy all of a sudden you know you lower the barrier entry and people start buying that never would have considered buying before so that was our you know our big innovation was you know just making buying incredibly you know incredibly easy you know was it just word of mouth i mean on the market the marketing sales oh the word the marketing yeah yeah yeah. so you know my my co-founder said if you do more things you can make more mistakes so i i call it just brute force marketing just you know Try, don't, don't get too attached to your ideas. We try to estimate our ideas up front, like whether we think they're going to be good or not and, and focus on what's a simple way to do it. Uh, things that are easy and seeing high impact, you should do first and things that are difficult and seeing low impact, you should avoid. How long would you give it? All of a sudden it didn't work. I just, you know, for conversion rate, I looked at like the number on the month. I was like, if our conversion rates move up and to the right, we're obviously making good decisions in terms of design improvements. Yeah. Sometimes like people make things too complicated. So I think yeah. simple is better. Somebody asked me one day, so what's your business strategy? 
And they said, well, you don't seem like you have one. I said, yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I just pull up DS. I said, yeah, we have one. It's called get better every day. And they said, what the hell? They're like, what's that? I go, well, I remember working at a dysfunctional company and I said, you know, you've probably worked in, everyone's worked in dysfunctional, most people, not everyone, but have worked in dysfunctional companies. I said, um, you know, inside sticker mill, I said, do you see any, do you see a lot of dysfunction? They said, no. They said, we come, I said, everyone for the most part comes here every day and tries to do something useful to help make the company better every day. And I said, that's not normal. Did you experience that? And you're, I didn't experience that in my prior life my prior job and I said you probably and they said no you're right like you know there's there's generally a great degree of dysfunction inside most companies but um you know our secret was we we don't have a dysfunction and we just come to work every day and everyone's constantly trying to do something productive when that's your attitude things just tend to improve yeah well we you know this is called the action catalyst I'm right I'm right on target you're right on target (laughs) so yeah I mean how how do you actually cultivate like an action-oriented culture what do you propose or what do you tell your team or your first five people will will we'll define the culture so you have to be very careful with your first you know for a department you have to be very careful with your first group right so if you you know you're gonna make mistakes in hiring they're gonna just kind of set the tone for for new people and they're either gonna indoctrinate new people right or they're gonna uh expel new people like they're gonna you know if you have once you have a core unit that feel i just think this is the way they think and somebody comes in it doesn't fit that mold they're either going to convince them to join or they're going to call me and say this person shouldn't be here yeah so if you have a department where it's like a mixed bag right where you have like your first five people two are good and two aren't in line and you let and you try to build on that it's it's confusing because everyone's like there's no agreement about what our values are right you have two people with this set of values two people with another set of values and one other person that's got another set of values yeah it doesn't scale gracefully on its own you can't just like walk away so and then we ended up developing a core set of principles for how to guide the organization and then we we started doing principles for every department principles are eight to ten rules about what your decision making framework should be our fundamental principle that we kind of have in all the docs is move fast because time is finite we, we really put a big emphasis on that but you know like an example like a person like i say safety is more important than that uh safety is more important than quality quality is more important and productivity if you're running an unsafe manufacturing environment people are getting hurt that's ridiculous you know but assuming you can have a safe environment which you should have you know you need to have quality before you worry about productivity you know i just put stuff like that in play i say judge people manufacturing judge people primarily on the basis of attendance yeah having principles is a tool we use to scale the organization so like as we started growing i had confidence and people saw that these principles work we have success in them so why not follow them right so like in manufacturing I say judge people primarily on the basis of attendance which isn't something everyone realizes to do because in manufacturing and in, 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 in manufacturing wearing people judge people on the basis of silly stuff like this guy can't perform a job this person's slow actually it's a big problem you know this one this is a, this person is slow well rather than like picking on people for being slow why don't you, if you're judging people on the basis of attendance, why don't you think about how to improve the process so even the slow people can be faster? Great way of thinking. You know, and so, and everyone adopts that and people start thinking differently. And then, and then I just got confidence that I don't have to keep repeating myself. Yeah, really cool. So today, one of the the, the things that you're the building is uh, stimulus. Yep. What is stimulus? How'd you get to that idea? Yeah, I was very anti-social media. Eventually, um, I said, why not? You know, we'll explore socialism as a channel. I didn't see it doing anything. So I set a goal for us to get to a million followers on Twitter. I said, I don't think it's worth anything unless you get to a million followers. So we come up with a plan to get, we come up with a goal to get there. And we we started succeeding and we were growing 20, 30,000 followers a month, real followers. And we were one of the dominant brands on Twitter. 
you know, through that process, I, I, as I got deeper into Twitter, I was just like, this place is horrible. I just, I just saw all the mad, the bad design, you know, a lot of the design decisions they made were, were, were pushing people in a bad direction. So I realized Twitter's sort of a game and the goal of the game is to become the most popular player. They didn't even know they're playing a game, but they're playing a game and they're trying to dominate the game. And the game is bound by the mechanics of the game. And the mechanics of Twitter were, you have to be nasty yeah. in order to succeed. So all these people that want to succeed in the game. Now, there's a lot of people yeah. in, 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 that didn't even know they were playing a game that weren't even trying to win. They're on there. They're floating around. But the people that decided to play, yeah. you know, had no choice but to play within the game mechanics of Twitter. And the game mechanics of Twitter were, you have to be nasty. This was one of the main tools to get attention. And Twitter baked that influence into their software. It's particularly destructive for people in tech who tend to spend a lot of time in front of their computers and don't interact you know, tend to be maybe more introverted. The world isn't Twitter. So you're heavily influenced by this. And they had everyone convinced that the world's terrible. And I saw all the levers that they had built on their platform to make people behave poorly. And then they're blaming the people for behaving poorly. And then they're saying, we got to, uh, you know, socially execute people. I mean, they were just chopping people's heads off. This guy's got to get off of Twitter. He's bad. This one's got to, well, you set up the game telling people to behave badly. And then all of a sudden you're removing people. You got to go. This one's terrible. He's beyond the pale. He's got to go. He was trying to win the game. Yeah. I don't like to just talk. So I was talking to our CFO and she said, you know, if you feel so strongly about this, why don't you try to pay your own network and show people that things could be better? And we, this conversation was before Elon Musk bought Twitter. I didn't know he was going to step in and do that. So, um, you know, we had to build it from scratch. We funded it ourselves. We had to get to the domain, spin up a team and all that. And the idea was to show that you can remove some of the negative design decisions. People aren't as bad. We wanted to better reflect society and we wanted to show that this is a game and if you don't want to turn into Twitter, you have to give people positive levers to succeed at the game. So give them a lever that's positive. So we decided to integrate integrated giveaways is going to be our positive lever. If you want attention on any of your posts on stimulus, it works a lot like Twitter or Facebook. Giveaways are very popular on Twitter and Facebook, but they're not integrated. So you have a fraud problem and you have a trust problem. But on stimulus, they're fully integrated. And you know, since we launched, they don't have bad behavior. It's crazy. Yeah. I guess as a user, you've got a lot of experience with Twitter and what they do well and what they don't, and that's valuable. But I mean, you know, I get the connection between what you were doing prior to Sticker Mule yeah. and then rolling that in Sticker Mule because you'd like that that background of that was my world. Yeah. production played a role, right? Mm -hmm. But what a leap. I mean, Sticker Mule to like total tech networking company. I mean, what made you feel... So I get the purpose and the why behind wanting to do it. Yeah. What gave you the confidence you could... You know, I, I only created one company and it succeeded, right? And people thought it was going to be, people thought I was nuts when I did that. You know, people mocked it, sticker real in the beginning. You know, it doesn't, doesn't sound sensible now, but, uh, you know, I wanted to do more times limited on, 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 on Earth. And I wanted to do something more challenging, more interesting and see, see if I could do that. I tell people, do the most impactful thing you can do. And so, yeah, when I scan the world, it's like, we think about that. What's the most impactful thing I can do in my time? But this was, you know, in terms of what, what my skill set is and what my resources are, I couldn't think anything better to do with my time. I didn't expect Elon Musk to step in and buy it. And now all of a sudden I'm competing with, you know, a totally different person. <laughs> you know, what can you do? He actually has a lot of similar ideas to me. So everyone on Stimulus is verified. You know, I, that was a fundamental thought in, in Stimulus. You know, everyone's so obsessed with privacy and I, I get it. But like, I thought through the majority of human history, Privacy wasn't a thing. If you interacted with another human, you did it face to face. People knew who you were. They could find you. You know, you interacted with your neighbor. You couldn't like put a mask on and go terrorize your insult your neighbor. And, you know, and it's the fact that we didn't have privacy for the vast majority of human history is like why we had, you know, much more civil uh, interactions.
all of a sudden you take, you know, people are obsessed with how you take away privacy. And yeah, you got people with masks on going on harassing. So you don't even know people are on Twitter harassing or on Facebook. They harass their neighbors, their friends through fake names. You could never do that if you had to actually do it face to face. The obsession with privacy is it's good. I get it. But it's giving additional attention to people that operate under their real name is the right thing to do. 100%. Yeah. So it's like road rage, right? If you, it's yes. easier to like cut someone off if you don't see that there's a human in the car and you just see. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I get that. That's cool. So stimulus, it's gaining attention. It's, you know, the premise is creating more positive environment. Yeah. Reminding people that humans naturally interact in a pleasant way with each other. And so far we've proven that. Um, I say it's sort of a, you know, innovation lab for social media. Like we, our goal with stimulus is to do things others aren't doing. So if you look at all the other Twitter clones, right? Because there's just no revolution in social. We had this idea before people went nuts, but like all the other Twitter clones are just bad imitations of Twitter. There's no real, there's really no innovation. But yeah, we're trying to be an innovation lab. We're trying to do as many things that other people aren't doing. So we were the first network to do integrated ID verification, mandatory ID verification. We're the only network that have integrated giveaways. First network to do image polls. No one does image-based polls, which is pretty cool. I don't know why no one else doesn't do that. First network to build uh, spam filtering so you can turn spam on and off so you can see your spam or not see your spam. And eventually we're going to have you know the ability to like, just like email, have your own personal spam filter because you know spam is in the eye of the beholder. So you could... And through the process of saying, I don't like this, I view this as spam, you can start having your own definition, building your own definition of spam through machine learning and stuff like that. Just, just, just like the way email works. Yeah, that's our goal. Keep innovating, keep doing cool stuff, influence the other networks in a positive direction. And we wanted to remind people that at the time that we started stimulus, and I think it's the world started to shift again, hopefully, people were very convinced that the world was dark and horrible and and it, that social media was a reflection of real life and, and that life just sucked. And we were, that was our goal is to show people that it's not that way. You know, it just as a way to kind of summarize some of this conversation too, um, and it, it kind of bring it back to you for a second, you've learned a tremendous amount, just an insane amount about business, about, I mean, you just, it sounds like now you just lean into whatever you're doing and unpack it and you're very interested in how things work. Mm-hmm. What would you say, knowing everything you know now, to like a an eighteen year old or seventeen year old version of yourself? Like, what what advice would you give the young version of you, having gone through this whole path? You know, I just I tell kids in general try stuff. You know, try more stuff. Don't be scared to try stuff. There's not a huge separation between you and people that seem fancy or seem super intelligent. Like people think that there is, but there really isn't. Like when you're a kid and you're like, I don't know, you think I'm this person, and then the, the successful people are just like superhumans. That's right. Yeah. And it's it's not the case there. You do have to figure out what it is that makes them successful and take on those qualities. But like, once you figure it out, and so I have this problem, like whatever I do in life, I, I try to like old downplay whatever I do. So I started boxing. I'm four no in boxing, four knockouts, two an amateur, two in pro. But even that, it's like, once you figure it out, it's not that hard. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's really not that hard, but yeah. you do have to study the sport and figure out what are the fundamental characteristics that make like most people unboxing and it's like a lot like business everything's kind of there's a lot of similarities between whatever you do but like they're just in there doing it and they just think they're going to win because they're going to win and it's just, it's just it's just not that way you're not going to win in business just because you think you're going to win you got to look at what are the qualities that make businesses successful well, so i should figure out how to do those things too Your biggest lesson for me and i think for our audience that that i'm distilling i mean there are a lot of micro lessons and thoughts and strategies, but just be a student of the game, right? And, and just learn whatever you're into um, and you can figure it out. And I, I yeah. think that's a really human that anybody can gravitate to that lesson and say, I can, you know, that that's something worth implementing in my life and business. So 
a lot of cool anecdotes just from your life. So I appreciate you being open about all that. Uh, thank you. I guess this was actually one of my, uh, the best podcasts I've done. So, you, you know, you did an incredible job with your questions. I'm hearing Yeah, thank you, Adam. That was awesome. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. And to stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and on Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. And thanks for listening.